0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. This week the steelworks in Redcar, the northeast of England, closed. Having gone into liquidation, thousands of highly skilled workers lost their jobs. A town that's relied on the steel industry for decades now faces decline. Steel has been made there for 160 years. Now, there are a lot of reasons why that is bad news. But why does it feel so tragic? I think the answer is that the people there have now lost their purpose. They've lost their purpose. Many of them, the purpose that they have lived for. And human beings are creatures of purpose. We yearn for it. We need it. We need purpose. We need to know what we're here for, what we're supposed to do. Without it, we struggle to survive, one of the main causes of depression is a lack of purpose. Lord of the Rings is my, is my much-loved copy I've had since I was a child. is a trilogy of books, one of the best-selling novels that was, has ever been written. It has sold more than 150 million copies. But until 15 years ago, most of the people who had read it were nerds. <laughs> but now, this story, <laughs> good to have you with us. Now, this story has been retold in glorious Technicolor, with three films grossing more than $2 billion at the box office. The author, J.R.R. Tolkien, was a Christian scholar who viewed his work as sub creation. In other words, it was an act of worship of his creator God. The books resonate with Christian echoes of the Christian story, but many readers don't see that. So, why did this book become so popular? Because it's a story of great purpose. And that's what we crave. We're creatures of purpose. We need it to survive. And this is a story of high purpose. The story of ordinary heroes facing an overwhelming challenge for a better tomorrow. Ordinary heroes, an overwhelming challenge. For a better tomorrow. In Lord of the Rings, the whole world is threatened with total devastation. It's a bit like a nuclear holocaust looming. Dark powers are bent on conquest. They will smash anything that is good and beautiful. They will twist the course of nature through genetic manipulation. They are malicious, malignant, and megalomaniacal. (laughs) Don't ask me to say that twice. And very little can stand in their way, only some ordinary heroes we face an overwhelming challenge with the hope of a better tomorrow now the book of Isaiah you see our slide up there presents us with something like that the Bible doesn't merely just give us this story out of sort of uh, ancient historical interest so that we can get on our lives as normal afterwards hmm so that's what happened in the time of Isaiah hmm oh well can I have the ketchup no no The Bible isn't really a book. It's more like an alarm bell going off or a trumpet blast. We could have got Sam to blow a trumpet blast at this moment. Maybe I should try it. A trumpet blast from the living God. (laughs) Saying, wake up! And listen, get back to your notes. It's a call upon our life. A call to a great adventure. To a high purpose that's worthy of your soul to a quest for a better tomorrow. But at the outset, it looks very, very bleak because Isaiah is just an ordinary person. He's just like you. Now, you've got to think yourself into this situation as I've just read. Here's Isaiah, the start of the chapter. He goes into the temple. He goes there very often. And he's just had the most awesome vision of God, the living God. He's actually seen Him, And when I say awesome, I mean it in the old-fashioned sense of the word not the modern way that people use it, or as in filled with awe, terrified, shaken to his core, he saw God. Now Isaiah was in the temple, a building that he knows very well, but he goes in this one time and it's not as he knew it because he sees a glimpse of spiritual reality. It's almost like a curtain is pulled back and there's a peek behind the scenes into what is really going on in the heavenly realms. It's at the time when a, a great king of Judah died. And what he's being shown here is who the real king is. It's God. It's a glimpse of the really real. And what he sees is not merely intriguing and educational. It is actually terrifying. Because he sees what God is really like. He's majestic. He's seated on a throne. And the hem of his robe fills the temple. Just the bottom part, the hem, fills the whole temple, which is a big structure. Now, if that's what the hem does, how big is the throne? And if that's how big the throne is, how big is the one seated on the throne? And at this point, Isaiah's words actually fail him. He doesn't have anything more to say about what God is like. It's as if he has to kind of look away. And he looks at this, these other servants of God, these angelic beings he calls them seraphs seraphine that I means burning ones they're so bright they're like living flames and the whole scene is so awesome it, even the voices of the seraphs shake the, the, the whole earth and it's like there's an earthquake and the, the temple uh, foundations are shaking and it, it's as if the room is full of smoke so he can't see god and the one thing that these seraphs are captivated by in the whole scene is not actually the raw power of god Or his regal majesty. But by his holiness. They say this in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is preeminently holy. It's there in in triplicas. The most emphatic statement of what God's character is all about in the whole Bible is here. He is the holy one. It's the essence of who he is. The one being who is completely distinct from the creation that he's made. And gazing upon God, the uncreated one. These angels are absolutely captivated by the beauty of his holiness and his uniqueness. And they never get over it. They never get bored with it. His character is holy as well. He's so perfect and pure and morally good. There's no single blemish on his integrity. I wonder if if you know somebody or you've ever been around somebody who is you know is a very upright person very, a person with great integrity their character is so fine that it makes you feel a little bit shady do you know anyone like that? you probably don't hang around with them very often now just imagine that, multiply that, that feeling a million times that's the God who Isaiah sees and seeing him and before that he kind of thought he was a fairly decent person but seeing God, he feels he is now ruined He says, woe to me, I am undone. He's suddenly aware. The only thing he can think of about himself is that he's unclean. Until that moment, he thought he was pretty good. Not anymore. And he feels that if God should turn his eyes to him, he would be absolutely destroyed. And then it looks like that is what's going to happen. One of these seraphs takes a blazing coal from the altar with some tongs because it's so hot. And he flies towards Isaiah. Isaiah. Now, fire in the Bible is a symbol of God. Fire that destroys, fire that purifies. In Abraham's vision back in the middle of Genesis, early part of Genesis, he saw a vision of God as a smoking, burning oven. Moses in the wilderness encountered a a bush that was on fire and never burned out. And it was the presence of God there. Later on in Exodus, Mount Sinai, God literally came from heaven to earth. And his presence was so intense that it was clouded by smoke, but smoke billowed up and the earth shook, made the mountain shake. And Isaiah thinks he's next, he's going to be burned up. He's like a passenger on a long haul airplane flight. Things have been ticking along as normal in a very boring way. He's watching a film on a little screen on the back of the headset in front of him. He's eating and drinking. He's saying, can I have some more peanuts, please? And then the pilot makes an announcement. He sounds tense. Cabin crew, take your seats. And the crew sit down and they buckle up. And the passengers, please keep your seatbelts fastened. We're going to experience some turbulence. And then they do. But it's beyond any kind of turbulence they've ever experienced before. The plane is literally bouncing along. It feels like it's being battered by giants. Even the crew is starting to look scared. The lights go out. There's a horrific sound. People start to scream. Then there's a loud Bang begins to plummet towards the ground. It's like a ride in a theme park, but this time it's for real. And in those last moments of sheer terror, what are those people thinking? This is it. And that's what Isaiah's thinking when he sees the seraph flying towards him. This is it. I've seen the absolutely holy God and there's no way back. I'm going to be consumed with fire. And then the seraph reaches out to his lips, the place of uncleanness, and he touches the colon. And, and he says... It's okay. Peace to you, Isaiah. See, this has taken away your sin and your guilt has been atoned for. How? How does the holiness of God coexist with a sinful person? Unclean. Because the cold came from the altar. And the altar stands for something. The altar is the place of reconciliation. The altar is the place where God makes peace with us through a blood sacrifice. See, God wants to live with humanity. He wants to be near to us and intimate with us. But we're too shameful and stained and sinful. Right down to the last atom, the last strand of DNA is infected with sin. But God will find a way to satisfy his holiness and his love. And he does so at the altar. See, at the altar, in the Old Testament system, an animal was brought, a living animal. And it was, its life was given in exchange for the life of the worshipper. Could be a lamb that was taken, and its blood was shed on the altar, and it was burned up symbolically, taking the place of the human being burned up by God's judgment. It symbolically it cleansed and restored the relationship. There was peace again. God and humans could be at one, which is where the word atone comes from. At one, and that's where this coal came from. It came from the altar. And now, Isaiah's heart is set free. He can sing like the lark. He can skip like a lamb. Not only is his life spared, he's given a new start and a new heart. And this heart that's been freed now wants to serve. See, Isaiah is just like you and me, if you're a Christian here. We too are unclean. We're we're from a people with unclean lips. We too go to church, and the last person we expect to meet is God. And then the voice of the Lord speaks. And if the seraph's voices shook to the temple, imagine what this voice must have done when he heard the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah, it seems without a moment's hesitation, immediately replies and he says, Here am I, send me. Verse 8. Great words. Here am I. I bet he squeaked them out. Here am I, send me. What a change. See the response of a heart that's been changed, touched by God's grace, felt God's mercy, that heart is eager to serve. But I wonder what he, th- what he thought he was signing up to. He's just an ordinary person. Now he's going to face an overwhelming challenge. There's a great moment in the Lord of the Rings story. Uh, the full gravity of the crisis begins to dawn on the free peoples. And they they realize that their entire way of life is going to be, uh, is under threat and will be torn apart. Their peace is going to be uh, ruined. Their civilization will be smashed. Their children will be enslaved. And this um, doom is kind of looming and they know that it's going to come. There's not much hope, but there is a little bit of hope if a small group can go on a desperate mission. It's almost like a suicide mission. And no one really wants to do it. And the room goes silent. And then this little voice speaks. And it's more like a squeak. It's a, a creature called a hobbit. These hobbits are only about three foot four. And he's about this big. And he stands up and he says, I'll go. Although I don't know the way. Now that's what's happening here in Isaiah chapter six. I'll go. And then the overwhelming is set out. Verse 9 and 10, here's the, here's the job. God says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their ears, eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, turn and be healed. Now, this is strange. On the surface, it looks like God actually wants to harden people's hearts and to stop them from listening. But the whole of the rest of the book of Isaiah tells us otherwise. God frequently promises love and mercy and a second chance, if only people will turn back to him. We read this a few weeks ago. He says in chapter 1, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Come back to me. Don't be like the ox or the beast that won't turn its neck and is stubborn. Repent, turn back, come back. But here, God basically gives Isaiah the inside scoop, which is that his message will have this impact. For most people, it will make them more hardened against God, not less. When people hear Isaiah's true message from God of of, of judgment to come, The need to turn, the need to go back to God. Most people will reject it in that day and age. And God is saying right at the start of this prophet's career, very few people are going to listen to you. You will preach your heart out. You will preach with tears. You will communicate clearly. You will communicate passionately. You'll write some of the most beautiful, stirring words in the ancient world. You will cry yourself hoarse with pleading. And most people will tell you to go to hell. why because Isaiah's message is not what they want to hear they're quite affluent and they want a message about how to get richer they want a prosperity gospel Isaiah's not going to give them that they're neglecting the poor they're uh, doing all sorts of unjust things they and they want a message about how to make their lives more comfortable Isaiah won't give them that They're polluting their worship of God. They're bringing in idol worship practices. And they want to be told it's okay. You can worship God any way you like. It doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. Isaiah isn't going to tell them that. They're actually heading towards the judgment of God and his anger. And they want to be told, no, it's okay. There's no such thing as judgment. That's primitive religion. Nobody believes that anymore. Except Isaiah. And so most people are going to write him off and ignore him. And Isaiah's congregation will be very small. Now he hears all of this, and it doesn't say what he felt about it, but it does, he does ask a very natural question, verse 11. For how long? How long is that going to go on for? I suspect he hoped that it was going to be for a season. Maybe it will be a game of two halves. First half, slogging away, nobody listens, then a big turning point after which the people are all going to come running back. Not this time. There is no Hollywood ending here. God says in verses 11 to 13, it's all going to be over. He listened to what he says. Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields, ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. The cities are going to be broken down. Most of the people will be killed or dragged into exile. Even if a tenth remain, it will again be laid waste. It is an overwhelming challenge. Very, very bleak. And this is happening in the year that King Uzziah died. you probably noticed that at the style of our chapter. It's happening in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, why is that important? Uzziah was a strong king. He had an unusually long reign. It was a very prosperous time. It was a time of peace. So the real problems of the nation were hidden because far away to the east, an aggressive superpower was on the rise. It was flourishing. It was called Assyria. And by the the time that King Uzziah died, around about 740 BC, there was a new emperor of Assyria who was established, a ruthless, ambitious man whose name was, get ready for it, Tiglath Pileser III. Tiglath Pileser III. Now, with a name like that, what do you want to do? Make a name for yourself. Cities ruined, people dragged away. That's what the Assyrians did before breakfast. And here's poor little Judah, out on the Western Front, backed up against the Mediterranean Sea, ripe for raiding. Just think Adolf Hitler and the tanks and guns of the Third Reich rolling into Liechtenstein, And it's only when Uzziah died that the true hopelessness of the situation is revealed. Isaiah is an ordinary hero and his task is an overwhelming challenge. Imagine being told that this is your life's work, those of you who are new graduates. Soon after graduation, you're on the training course. You're learning the new software system day one on the job and they say here's your job description Uh, everything you tell people they will never understand it preach your heart out and they'll just grow ever more calloused and keep going until the nation is ruined sign here please the hr department's down there did he do it you bet we've got 66 chapters of isaiah's ministry he was faithful to the task he got the job done and it, it, obviously not everyone rejected his words because his words were kept. Cherished, written down, preserved. And we, here we are reading them 2,700 years later. One of the greatest books of the ancient world. What makes some, an ordinary person faithful in such a task? What kept him strong? What kept him going? It was the experience of the reality of God and knowing the grace of God. But there's one more thing. And it's there right at the end of the chapter. There is a glimmer of hope. There's a hope of a better tomorrow. And you're going to say, this is a pretty small glimmer. But it's there nonetheless. Look with me again at verse 13. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. You're thinking... Okay, that's not very glorious. The glimmer of hope is a stump left in a field somewhere. I, was talk- I had a curry with a preacher friend of mine the other night. I told him I was doing this passage. He went home and read it. And he texted me the next morning, good news, there's a stump. <laughs> that's right, it is good news. Because it says that when humanity has utterly failed, God never gives up. God made a promise. He made it to Abraham. He restated it to the patriarchs, Abraham's descendants, Isaac, Jacob. He then restated it to the children of Israel when they left Egypt. He then narrowed it down to King David and his descendants. God said he would have a people who would bless the world. And God always keeps his side of the bargain. So the stump means everything to Isaiah. Even though we've blown it, even though we've squandered all our opportunities, even though judgment had to fall through the Assyrians, there is still uh, hope. And new life will come. Out of that stump, new life will come. And tomorrow, Isaiah says, will be so glorious that it will make today look just like a practice run, like a dress rehearsal. Tomorrow will just be so incredible. It'll be bigger and more beautiful than you ever imagined. Now what is different about tomorrow here in verse 13, the end of verse 13? What is different about the people that remain? Can you see? What do you think? The seed are the people. What is different about them? Say again. they're They're holy, that's right. So there's a complete devastation, but there's something left. And this holy seed, this people, will be in the land and will continue and grow. So those who remain will be like God because he's the holy one. And they will rebuild a whole new nation. Now, how did that happen? Isaiah's readers at this point didn't know. But you know, if you know anything about uh, the Christian Bible you turn with me to chapter 53 you'll see how this comes about it's page 741 in our church bibles isaiah chapter 53 and i want to end here because it tells us how the better tomorrow is going to come who has believed our message says isaiah and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed he grew up before him like a tender shoes like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now you know who this person was. His name was Jesus. He came to this earth 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words. And he faced an overwhelming challenge, too. He faced death. He faced God's anger at sin. He faced judgment. He faced the devil. And he became an ordinary person. He became one of us, a human being. People passed him in the street that didn't notice who he was. And he faced it all down. He went to the cross for a prize, for a better tomorrow for the joy set before him. So now, everyone who loves and follows Jesus Christ, he is proud to call you brothers and sisters, and he will return for you. Ordinary person facing an overwhelming challenge for a better tomorrow. What is the real cash value for Isaiah? For us. It's that we share in the same kind of calling. You're an ordinary person. And if you want to take the message of Jesus to this world, you face an overwhelming challenge. People don't want to hear it. In fact, as I've observed over the years, often when somebody's been exposed to Christian truth, they become more hardened afterward than they were before. You ever seen that? It's the same thing happening. It's a big challenge. But we do it because we're looking forward to a better tomorrow and we've experienced the grace of God in our lives. So what can we do? Well, two things that Isaiah does. He goes and tells, and he is holy. He goes and tells. He goes and speaks graciously and winsomely an unpopular message, a message of sin and a message of God's forgiveness. And we can do that too, friends here at Grace Church. Do it through your your life groups, your Christian community. Do it in the workplace, the office, in your family, with your friends. Use the different ministries that we've got. We've got some events coming up called Stories at Starbucks. A one-hour opportunity to buy someone a coffee and let them hear something of the good news. Women uh, can go to this chocolate tasting event. We've got a a football tournament uh, with a speaker. We've got a big carol service coming up at the end of December. Lots and lots of little opportunities to go and tell. Use those opportunities. Some will listen. Pray for God to lead you to them. And secondly and finally, be the holy seed. Be holy people. Think about the character of God that Isaiah saw. Think about his response, I'm unclean. Think about God's taking that away from him. So now us, we who've experienced the grace of God through Jesus, more than anyone should be holy people. Friends, have you pursued Jesus Christ this week in your heart, in your prayers, in your day-to-day life? Or have you neglected him until this morning? Have you pursued him? Have you persisted in the fight against sin or have you indulged that one sin that you always give in to? Today is the day to put it right. Today is the day to resolve to follow Christ wholeheartedly. Today is the day to say, I will tell even though I'm scared. I won't be afraid because I fear the Lord more. Today is the day to put those things right at the Lord's table. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.